It's your state of being. And because you can be doing something or nothing, and you could be connected to yourself. You could be in a room crowded with 7 million people or in a room by yourself, and you could still feel connected or not connected to yourself. Mm. And so you're right. Like all of these things are kind of circumstantial. I think a lot of these things that I mentioned are things to help you remember how to connect to yourself. But the art of actually just connecting to yourself is such an internal thing. And it's a, it's a state of being. Welcome to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol. I spend every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same. Like right now. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen. I just want to start out by saying a big fat kiss to Dominic, who just recently joined 1000 Days Sober Experience and is currently getting to know everybody at Strive Dom. It's really good to have you on here. Really, really appreciate it. Now, I just want you all to know that uh, things are continuing to evolve and to uh, expand and to become ever brilliant at 1000 Days Sober Experience. And right now, if you want to join the 1000 Days Sober Experience, if you want to learn how to stop drinking alcohol and to build your rocket and to fly to Mars, to achieve your dreams and all of your goals and to live a kick-ass, connected, beautiful, amazing life, then you need to go through me, okay? You need to go through me. Me and you need to sit down on um, a little chat, calling it a discovery call, uh, 30 to 40 minutes, just so we can really understand what it is that we're going to give up if we decide to be someone that doesn't drink alcohol or go 1,000 days sober. What is it we're going to give up? And are we willing to give that up? And are you willing to do the work? Are you willing to put this journey of being someone that doesn't drink alcohol at the top of your to-do list? Top. Before playing with the kids, before being a great husband or a great wife, before being a great uh uh, son or daughter before your career are you willing to put this first because if you do you will become a better husband and wife you will become a better father or mother you will become a better employer employee or entrepreneur you will reach your dreams you will become more connected with yourself this has to come first if you're listening to this this has to come first so if you're willing to do that then get to www.1000daysober.com Sign up for a 30-minute call and we'll see if you're a good fit because I'm only going to work with people who are really fucking serious about this moving onwards, really serious. And on that note, I want to bring something to your attention that I picked up uh, during the first round of conversations I've been having with people during those calls, all right? And I want you to pay attention and listen very clearly to this, okay? When it comes to investing in ourselves, both financially, physically, mentally, time-wise, when it comes to putting ourselves first and our needs first and making sure that we fix ourselves and we fill our own cup up, put our own mask on in the plane, whatever analogy you want to use, we are not very good at it. 
When people sit down with me and have that conversation and I explain to them how much it's going to cost, I explain to them how much work they're going to have to do, I explain to them how much I'm going to be on top of them as their guy, kind of pushing them, hugging them, being next to them, how important this is, suddenly it's like, oh, maybe giving up drinking is not what I want to do right now. But if you then say to them, what would happen if your wife or your husband came to you with the same problem? Would you invest the time, energy, money, and everything to help them out? Then the answer is always, yes, I would do that. Would you do this for your children? If your children came to you and said they wanted the investment of money, time, et cetera, et cetera, to change their lives, would you help them? And what I'm learning is everybody that comes to my doorstep is willing to do whatever it takes to find the money, to eke out the time, to serve those closest to them, but they won't look after themselves. And if you can't look after yourself, you're never going to get 1,000 days sober and beyond, and you're always going to be stuck in first gear. And is that how you want to live your life? Is it worse dying young or worse dying at an old age with your dead dreams wilted away inside you, okay? 1,000 Days Sober Experience is not about alcohol. It's about helping you to connect with who you are, to find out who you are. After so many decades of refusing to acknowledge that you even hid the real you down in the basement there somewhere, finding out who you are, connecting with that person, connecting with source, God, universe, whatever you want to call it, and then becoming a walking, talking, breathing, smoldering mass of amazing energy that everyone around you wants to connect to. And because of that energy and that confidence and that courage and that vulnerability and that ability to lean in and get shit done, every area of your life from what you eat to what you drink to what you choose is your vocation or your career or your job to the way you make love to the way you parent your child and the presence you bring, the way you manage conflicts, everything becomes easier because you made the decision to put yourself first and to understand the truth about alcohol and raise that awareness within you so you can have a better relationship and a better belief and understanding about what's really fucking going on in the world right now when it comes to your addiction to alcohol, right? So, boom, I'm off my soapbox, all right? I'm now going to hand you over to Jess DeBose, right? Jess is a coach and author. She helps people transform their grief into their superpower. Uh, through holding space and guiding people to connect with themselves, Jess has helped dozens of people learn to grieve, heal, and step into their power. She recently released her first book, I Don't Hate My Ex-Husband, where she shares her epic love story, journey with grief, and ultimate path to self-love. Combining all of her skills as a teacher, writer, musician, and creator, Jess has also created personalized meditations, and these tailor-made meditations guide people to connect deeper with themselves, to reprogram whatever limiting belief they have about themselves. And her highest value is growth. Jess learns something new every day, and when people come into contact with Jess, they experience love, as I just did for the last hour talking to her, okay? The reason that I got Jess on is one of my biggest challenges as someone that doesn't drink alcohol is learning to hold space for my wife. Learning to see her, to hear her, to respect her, to help her feel that our relationship and her space within it is trusted, 
and is secure. My mistakes have been to interrupt, to defend, to justify, to use gaslighting, passive aggressive, transferences of shame, all a load of subconscious immediate programming that I adopted and created when I was a kid and it doesn't serve me anymore. So I am on a mission to be a very, very different guy. And I can tell you right now, as I stand near my power, I am that different guy, right? Am I going to fuck up? Yeah, sure. But I'm going to learn from every single fuck up, right? And getting people like Jess on this podcast to share her tips and advice on how to hold space for people, how to make them feel seen and heard and connected so you can step into your power and have a beautiful relationship, that is part of that work. So I hope you get as much out of this as I got out of it. If you've got any questions about this whatsoever, email me at thetruthaboutalcohol.gmail.com. If you want to learn more about Jesse's work and you want to download the show notes and the special workbook that we will create on this exercise, and please, 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 if you're not doing that, you are missing out on a wealth of opportunity and gold here. Go to www.1000daysober.com, click on the podcast page, go to Jesse's podcast and download uh, those workbooks. They're amazing, all right? And download all the other workbooks that are on there. So without further ado, I'm going to shut the hell up and leave you in the capable hands of Jess DuBose. Thanks for listening. Jeff DuBose, welcome to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. I love the hair color. Do you know when I stopped drinking, one of the first things I did after I left my 20-year career in the railway is I had a massive Mohican with that same hair color. (laughs) That's awesome. 20 years of being constrained and having to look and be a different way. And then you realize your power and you think, fuck it, I can do what the fuck I like. I'm going to have a big Mohican. Excellent. That's amazing. So how are you doing? What part of the world are you in? Um, So let's start with a win. What's what's been a win in your life lately? Man, I have so many wins. I am in Oregon and that's in the United States, north of California. I moved here two months ago. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge win. Drove across the country. I lived in Ohio before that. So it took me four days to drive across the country. And so, yeah, I'm living in Oregon. I work for myself. I published a book in June and... Yeah, there's just a lot of wonderful things happening in life right now. Well done on publishing that book. I have a book inside of me and it's very difficult. It wants to come out, but I won't let it. So I know um, how much you did there. Very proud of you. Um, Jeff, let's just get straight into the gold. I got you on here. Let me tell people why I got you on here. No, I won't because I probably would have done that in the intro anyway. So don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Um, What does it mean to feel seen and heard? That's such a great question to be seen and heard. So for me, when I feel seen and heard, I feel connected to somebody. I feel understood and safe. Um, Even though safety is kind of is an illusion, there's something about being seen and heard that, that brings that, even if we need the illusion of safety, it brings that. And there's this, wholeness that I think happens inside of us and with other people when we are being seen and heard. There's just a special connection that happens when that happens. Feel connected to somebody. Can you expand upon that a little bit? Because 
when I am emanating from my inner child and not now, but in the past, the old Lee, and I wasn't having sex and I would complain and moan and groan about it. My wife would say, well, I don't feel connected to you. And I would say, yeah, well, of course you're not connecting me because we're not having any sex, right? So can you expand a little bit for anybody who's thinking the way I used to think and are thinking, what the hell is connection? Yeah. So there is something to be said about physical connection. And that is not what I'm talking about at all. (laughs) There is a place for physical connection that's beautiful and amazing, whether it's sex or just touch. Yes. And I can feel just as connected to a person with, with you being on the other screen halfway across the world. Yeah. As even if I cannot touch you, there's a connection that happens and it is emotional. It could be spiritual, depending on where you are and what, what you believe. And that connection is like, it's almost like a soul touching another soul. And it's, it's kind of hard to describe, but there's like this, there's empathy and understanding and like just a holding space and just allowing there's an allowing allowing of just being able to be yourself with nothing to change, nothing to fix, nothing to coach, nothing to mentor, nothing to teach, just the allowance of being. And like, I can be seen in the nakedness of my emotions with, and it not having to be changed. And I can just show up as I am. I like that. Be seen in the nakedness of my emotions. Okay. So connection, I'm thinking of um, what's the most connected moment, just one, one moment in my life was when my wife was giving birth to my daughter, Zia, and she was in the birthing pool. And there was a moment when I, when I held her and it was like peak moment, right? And I looked at her and, and I felt so connected to her on so many levels. Like, honestly, I know she was having a baby, but sexually, non-sexually, everything. I'd never felt that connected before in that moment, you know? And sometimes I think we forget in relationships to just stop and just stare into our partner's eyes without saying anything and just witness them, right? I mean, do you come across that in your practice? Yeah, all the time. People often call me or talk to me because I pride myself in being an expert space holder and I witness people all the time and uh, friends and people who know that about me will reach out for that kind of support because there is so much power being seen, held, loved, witnessed. And I see it all the time. And because of the way society brought us up and our parents and this, all of this programming of so many different types of things, we are taught not to stop and be still and listen and look at somebody in the eye. And when you pass them and say, hey, how are you? And passing rather than stopping and looking at you in the eye and go, wow, hey, how are you doing today? There's such a different energy that comes when you stop. Because I said the same words like, hey, how are you doing? And wow, how are you doing today? There's just a different energy that comes with that. And people get to be seen and witnessed. Mm. And there's so much power. I have a friend called Talal. And every time I go to see him in London for dinner, uh, I, he, comes, he always comes at me with a handshake. 
and I always hug him. And he always says to me, oh, yeah, I keep forgetting you're a hugger. And, and, and when I stopped drinking, my hugs became meaningful. They weren't, just, they weren't just a hug for hugging's sake to replace a handshake. And, and I wanted to embrace somebody and hold them. You know what I mean? It's like, why, why does alcohol remove you so much from this experience you describe in this, this ability to connect? Well, I think oftentimes the, peop- the reason people are consuming alcohol is to numb. And so that's part of that process is like numbing you from having to be present to the feelings. And so it, it, then it allows the state, the space to be disconnected, but still feel good, even though that's not what you probably are really craving is actually connection with somebody. I guess as well, when you're drinking alcohol, you've, especially the way that we do it, you know, in the UK and the US and Australia, we're just designed from birth, really, that when you reach adulthood, you will just drink alcohol every weekend. You, you will drink it every weekend. You'll celebrate it. It'll be amazing. That's what you'll do. And when you kind of get into that and then you, you bring that into midweek and then you bring that into solo drinking on your own, you lose connection with yourself. And there's an aspect of drinking alcohol, which is avoiding that truth and looking in the mirror yeah. and go, holy shit, I don't recognize myself. Yeah, for sure. It's really easy to get disconnected from ourselves because we're not really even taught how to connect with ourselves to begin with. Mm. And so learning how to connect with ourselves is part of the process of being able to witness others. So how do we learn to connect with ourselves? Well, it's definitely a practice. And it, it, for everyone, it's a little different on what they best, how they best connect with themselves or spirit. And um I have been rediscovering one of the ways that I really connect with myself is through music. My my background is in music education and I learned how to play guitar when I was 15 years old and I haven't played in a while. But the past week I've been playing every day and the level of connection that I have to myself when I play guitar and when I play the songs that I have written is like this next level like oh my gosh I feel so like just able to be in that connection with self. And so some people it's music or writing or being in nature or meditating or breathing. You have to find out what that one thing is that really brings that connection with you. And if you have no idea even where to begin, just pick one of the things I listed and try it and see like, do I like to draw? Do I like to play outside? Do I like to play music? Like just play around with it and you'll find the one. And sometimes it's, you know, you could do a combination of things. Like I'm also a writer and really connect to myself when I'm writing. So it's, you can have multiple ways, but it's really finding that thing that you connect with that will help you connect to yourself. I guess what you, what you described that, I just want to play around with that a little bit to uh, just draw some clarity into it. So when you said about music, um, I, I, I started to think of flow and, uh, I'm going to butcher his name here, but Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's views on flow, right? So if we can lead our life to better kind of uh, perpetuate the opportunity for getting into states of flow, either through playing music or playing chess or rock climbing or poker, whatever it is that gets you into the zone, so to speak, 
Um, mm-hmm. But but that's that's different than connecting with yourself, right? So is there sure. is is there an introspection or a certain level of processing that we have to do that's more rational and logical than emotional for it all to come together? Well, it's mostly just being. It's your it's your state of being. And because you can be doing something or nothing, and you can be connected to yourself. You could be in a room crowded with 7 million people or in a room by yourself, and you could still feel connected or not connected to yourself. Mm. And so you're right. Like all of these things are kind of circumstantial. I think a lot of these things that I mentioned are things to help you remember how to connect to yourself. But the art of actually just connecting to yourself is such an internal thing. And it's a, it's a state of being. Um, because what we are trained to do is we are trained to do, 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 and not be. And so when you just stop and allow yourself to be, again, it's really kind of difficult to describe because we are so trained to do all the time, but being with yourself, being in the moment, being with whatever emotion is coming up, being instead of having to do or fix or change, it's just allowing for the space to be in the moment wherever you are. Hmm, okay, so I'm I'm halfway through Press and Smiles and Alexis Panos's book that they wrote together. Um, like five steps to I don't know something. Five steps to great health or something. Sorry, Preston, I'm butchering the name of your book. Um, but there's an aspect. There's a little chapter in there where he talks about centering. So he says to find the center between your your navel and your pelvis, and to stand up with your feet apart. And to just breathe in from that center and just focus on the present moment. So I've been doing that four times a day. And that allows me, while I'm doing that, I'm, I'm doing a couple of things. I'm, I'm saying that I'm grateful for what I get it, what I got in life. I'm, I'm being very joyful and celebrating life. Uh, but then I'm also being really aware of how I'm feeling in that moment and then allowing myself, oh, you're feeling really shitty. That's okay, you know. So that little simple process four times a day, is that what we're talking about? Getting to connect with yourself? Is that what it is? Yeah, that's definitely a way to do that, that connection with self. And what happens is when we actually be still, because that's what it is, it's being still Mm. and like being instead of doing or having judgment about how you're feeling or judgment what happens if you are not in the practice of being still, then you will have judgments or you will be trying to avoid feelings or it feels bad. So you stop and you refuse to do it anymore because you're like, Ooh, I have never actually allowed myself to feel sad about this thing. And now all of a sudden, if I breathe deep, I'm going to start crying and then I'm never going to stop crying. That's what it feels like a lot for adults. Is like, oh, if I breathe deeply and regularly and try to do that, whatever is going about to come up is never going to stop is what it feels like. And so we just press it down, press it down, press it down and refuse to be still. But the more that you practice being still, the more that you can allow those things to come up naturally and it won't be so explosive either. Because it's like if you've ever watched a toddler, one second, they're like, bouncing off the walls and super happy and the next second they could be crying and screaming and then 30 seconds later they're laughing again and you're like Mm. how do you do that well like 
that's actually normal. Like emotions flow like that normal. And we learn how to manage them a little bit more strongly. We can, but oftentimes as adults, we just learn to avoid them because as children, we're taught, well, don't be scared. Don't cry. Don't be angry. It's like, no, that's part of the human process. So just allowing those things instead of shoving them down um, and actually feeling them is that, that part of being still and being, but it takes practice to get to a space to be able to do that. And the first time you do it, will take longer and allow this first time that you do it, allow the space to cry for as long as you need to. If that's four hours, yes, and it won't be four hours next time. And it's it's not easy, is it? I mean, if you use that example of parenting, you know, Zia, my daughter yesterday, she had an afternoon nap, which she doesn't normally do. She woke up and she would not stop crying. And in the beginning, you're like, okay, she's crying. She's upset. That's okay. She's allowed to be doing that. And then that's the way that I'm approaching it as a parent. But then as she goes on and on and on and on and on, and it gets more and more and more and more annoying. You really are challenged to keep holding that space because it is okay. There's not a time limit on this thing. Like, you know, go through what you need to go through and get right when you get right. And that, I think if anyone's a parent listening to this, one good way of kind of connecting is, is improving that relationship with your children because we always seem to have more empathy with with children and then Mm -hmm. as we get better at that then okay I think I'm going to treat my wife or my husband as a child but not like in a childish childish way but in the same respectful empathic way when you said about so let me ask you the question then can we be connected to somebody else if we're not connected to ourselves first I think a lot of people try And there's possibility, but it's not going to be the same unless we are actually connected to ourselves. Hmm. And the example I'll give is, um, like I mentioned, I wrote a book. My book is called I Don't Hate My Ex-Husband. And so it's my personal journey through grief. And one of the things that I learned when I was after we got divorced was that I didn't love myself. And so that I had some connection to myself, but I didn't love myself. And how hard would it be for a partner to love me if I didn't even love me? And so, you know, when we are not connecting to ourselves, when we're not loving ourselves and being kind to ourselves, like there's, you can act out the things to love and connect with other people, but it's not going to be as deep or as that that beautiful feeling of connection unless you have that with yourself. And the people that come to 1000 Days Sober invariably are people who in their teenage years chose alcohol without even thinking about it. So just because it's so ubiquitous, I call it an invisible, violent and dominant belief system. I call it alcoholism. It's just this, this system that exists that indoctrinates us without us even thinking about it. And then before we know it, we're addicted and we we can't do it. We're fucked. We can't get, get away from it. But it's almost like we choose to fit in when we're teenagers. And because we choose to fit in, what we're doing in a way is we're ashamed of who we really are. And we hide who we really are in some shame prison in the back of our mind somewhere. And then the next thing, you know, you're 35 and your drink has gone out of control and you can't connect with yourself because the real you is in the dungeon. You don't even know that he or she is there. And that's when you need help with coaching and stuff to help you to stop drinking. So the beauty of my work is um, seeing people actually find 
who they really are so they can start to connect with themselves. So then they can connect with other people, right? Yeah. Because what I just heard you saying is like, if you started drinking when you were 15, right? Mm-hmm. So then you spent 20 years keeping this 15-year-old locked up. So then you never actually really learned about yourself in a way that you know who you are because you kept yourself in this like container. Like, nope, this person is not allowed out because as a teenager, this person wasn't accepted and this person was blah, blah, blah. Judgment, judgment, story, story. And then all of a sudden you're 35 and you're like, I don't know who I am. Mm Because you never really let yourself be connected to yourself to know the answer to what that is. And so I imagine, I, I have not had a story with alcohol like this at all, but I imagine part of the issue with just stopping drinking is like, it's one thing to say, I'm just going to stop, but there's so many other things that come up with that. It's like, if you don't know who you are, you don't know how to emotionally cope without it, because that's how you taught yourself to cope with anything for 20 years. Hmm. That's a lot of things to manage. And on top of it, you're trying to quit something that's addictive. Well, that's a lot. The, the, the other thing as well, just to draw all the listeners' attention to this, a lot of people, when they end up on this podcast, they've invariably ended up here because they consume social media. You know, that's like kind of ubiquitous in most people's lives who listen to podcasts. And if you look at Instagram feeds, you look at mine, 1,000 Days Sober, for example, other people's Instagram feeds like Annie Grace or Andy Ramage or, you know, Holly Whitaker, Laura McCowan. You look at it and you, and you think to yourself, holy shit, these people are living really great, amazing lives, really great, connected, amazing lives. So you assume that when you start drinking alcohol, uh, that that's what's going to happen, like almost like straight away. Like I'll discover who I am almost straight away. But of course, if you stop drinking alcohol and you don't even know that you're trapped in the basement in manacles, you need coaches to help you to find figure that out. So, so like I'm 10 years sober now, like over 10 years, right? And now, only now, have I really realized the power of coaching and putting the scarcity mindset behind me to always surround myself with the right coaches because now I'm really, truly understanding who I am. After 10 years, I don't want you to wait 10 years, folks. If you get anything out of this conversation, you don't have to wait 10 years to emerge from this scarcity mindset and find out who you really are. Yeah, for sure. Coaching is so powerful because it it helps you shortcut through the stuff that so you don't have to wait 10 years. It also holds up this beautiful mirror to show you the shit that you can't see in yourself. Mm. And it also like, being able to reflect back, but then also to remind you to be kind to yourself. And like you are, we, as as a coach, I, that's one of the questions that I ask most often is like, how are you taking loving care of yourself today? That's one of the most common questions I ask all the time is like that constant reminder, because we are really good at beating ourselves up. And if you're in a space where you're becoming sober and you're constantly like, okay, I didn't have a drink. So great great, I did that. But then you're beating yourself up for all this other stuff. It's going to like, you're going to lead yourself to want to drink because of how you're talking to yourself. Mm. And so having a coach to help you learn how to have better self-talk and how to love yourself and create boundaries in your life and discover that inner child and who you are. Like there's so many different things 
And coaches have the tools to be able to help you learn that. And you don't have to do it by yourself. It's very hard to do it by yourself. It's very lonely to do it by yourself. And you can only take yourself so far. Yeah. And you, um, and I just had a call, just be, like literally just jumped off a call and straight onto this one. And a person that I was talking to um, didn't even know, didn't even know why, why he drank. Like, so why do you drink? I'm going to clear it. Don't know. So like, where does that, where does that leave you? If you just want to, if you just want to plow a lonely furrow, it, it, it doesn't help you. Right. I mean, so this actually leads into another question I have. So just to recap, it's quite clear that if you don't work on becoming connected to yourself first, before you try to be connected to someone else, then it's, it's not going to come across as radically authentic, which is, something that we really want to push on 1,000 Days Sober. We call ourselves strivers. We want to be radically, you know, transparent and, um, and authentic. It's really important that we're allowed to be who we are and trust that the people around us will love us to do that. So that's really cool. So you have to love yourself first uh, and connect with yourself first. But what about if you do that work and the other person in your relationship isn't doing any work or you don't think they are? Like, do you need two people to become connected or can one person work on, can one person carry the, the whole load for the relationship? Oh, so there are so many different things around this because on one hand, you can only control yourself. So the only thing that you can control is you. And if you're connecting with yourself, uh, that will increase the connection with your partner probably no matter what they are doing, if they are choosing to connect with themselves or not. And oftentimes what I've seen is when people choose to do the work and connect with themselves and do what they need to do for themselves, it opens up the door for their partner to do the same. But it could lead in different directions. On one direction, it could lead to opening up a door for your partner to be able to do the same. And then they're willing to do the work. And that's beautiful. It could lead to a lot of resistance because anytime we change and change our boundaries and change how we are, especially with our partners, you're going to be met with resistance. Cause it's like, I expected you to be this way. This is how I, this is who I know you to be. And so we have a lot of resistance to when a partner changes or does something differently. And so at first it will be, it could be really hard, but then choosing to stick to your new boundary or whatever it is that you're creating can op- again open up the door for something beautiful to shift. And sometimes it shifts into, wow, we are not really compatible anymore. And it, it might lead to an ending of a relationship. There's lots of different possibilities, but the most important thing is to make sure that you have yourself. And if you're connecting with yourself, it doesn't matter which direction it goes in because at the end of the day, you have got you and you will be able to move past the relationship or get the help you need it within the relationship or the relationship will grow and blossom together. But it's really important to be connected to yourself and really grow with yourself. I guess if you're connected to yourself, then you reduce the likelihood of conflict happening because you're going to be a very difficult person because conflict takes two people. And if you're like Mm -hmm. really aware of who you are and you're really present and centered and your value, one of your top values is your relationship and the solidity of that, and you learn to hold space, then it's going to be super difficult for someone to argue with you. Really difficult. So 
Because yeah. you know that it's probably not about you. It's that mm-hmm. there's other stuff happening. And so if you cannot take it personally when somebody's arguing with you and not take it to mean something about you and you're standing in your the highest version of yourself, it would be really hard to argue. I remember when I first met Liza, my wife, and um, she would say to me, oh, Lee, you're just useless at holding space. Why can't you hold space? And why do you keep like, why, why can't you provide a safe container for me? You know? What what do those words mean? And are they the same thing? What what is it what does it mean when someone says hold a container for somebody? And what does it mean when someone says hold space for somebody? Mm. Well, you would have to ask the person that you're talking to. Mm. Because what I have found in relationships, and particularly romantic relationships, is that people have different de- definitions for different words. And so it's important to come to common language and common understanding of what the other person means. Because I could say holding space or holding a container and mean one thing, and you could say it and mean a whole different thing. And if we are partners and trying to have a conversation, and I think you're talking about this, and you think you're talking about this, then we are not actually talking about the same thing. And even though we have definitions of words, words are just... They're a way for us to express emotion and express thought, but it doesn't necessarily mean we're doing a good job of that. And so making sure that the definition you have for this word is the same, or if it's not, is going to be really imperative in being able to connect on that level to find out what do you mean by holding space? What do you mean by holding a container? Are those two different things? Are those the same thing? I don't know. But you'd have to have that conversation with your partner to find mm. out. I really like that. That that blends in with the question of support when you become somebody who doesn't drink alcohol. So imagine if you're a female in a relationship, you want to stop drinking alcohol, and you're expecting your partner to support you, but you haven't become vulnerable enough or brave enough to explain to them what support looks like. So then they try to support you in the only way they know, which is usually have a drink. There's nothing wrong with you. You're no different than anybody else. You deserve it. And you're like, I can't believe it. This guy's asking me to drink alcohol when I'm trying to quit. Like, doesn't he understand me? But there's this mm-hmm. 100% responsibility piece there, isn't it? I thought that fitted in quite beautifully to what you just said then, you know? Yeah. So if you say, I want support, And then like that one person has an idea of what support looks like and you didn't specify what that support was. How can they, you know, everyone looks at those things differently. Just like, like, I just want you to love me. Well, what does that even mean? What does love look like to you? What does support look like to you? And being able to really decipher what that means. Like, oh, supporting me would be saying, let's go on a walk instead of going to have a drink or let's, you know, whatever it is that you need for that support, but you have to ask and be very clear. Clear clarity is so important in relationships. Hmm. So container holding space can mean different things to different people. So how do we, how do we help people listening to this who are getting feedback from their partner that they are not doing their part to help people feel seen and feel heard. I guess they've got to ask for feedback, right? Okay. Yes. Okay. Asking for feedback is important, but then also not 
how we receive feedback is also really important in this moment. Master. Because if I ask for feedback and then you tell me and I don't like what you have to say and I take it personally, that's going to end in an argument and not actually make progress into what it is that you were looking for in the first place. So you have to be in a space to be open and willing to hear whatever feedback. I like to say, don't ask a question that you're not actually ready to hear the answer to. Because if you're not ready to receive the answer and receive whatever it is that they have to say about that, they could say, oh my gosh, you're selfish and you're awful and you do this and that. And you're like, whoa. And then you take it personally instead of like, so you you get to define what feedback looks like with each other. Again, defining what these things are and asking for what you, so what kind of feedback are you looking for? What kind of things do you need? And so having a conversation around, okay, I hear that you say, I'm not holding space for you. Can you help me understand what holding space for you looks like? And oftentimes, I don't know, men in general tend to like to fix things because you are taught to be the providers and to be problem solvers. And that is your role. And that is what you are taught. And so to hold space and just be and not have to fix or change anything um, is not what you were taught. And so it can be more difficult sometimes for men to hold space than for women because of the programming that they have. Mm. And so learning to understand the stories that you were told in those roles and put that aside and actually think about what your um, partner is looking for is going to be really important in that process of learning how to hold space for her. When you talk about don't ask a question that you're not prepared to hear the answer to. So let's play that out and you do that. So you say to somebody, uh, what, what do you really think about me then? And then they just can hit you with it. What is going on when you become defensive there? Ah, so this, uh, I have a story. Okay, this is beautiful. Um, uh, this is something that played out in my marriage. So my ex-husband um, is really great at giving constructive criticism um, and not necessarily giving you the affirmations or positive things, but the constructive criticism. And it's not in a way to be negative or about your worth or anything like that, but it's like very direct and like, this is what I think. So I am a person who went to school for music education. I study music forever. He did not study music in college, but he's been doing music forever with his family. And we were doing this church thing together and we were doing this music group. He ended up in charge of the music, the singers, and I happened to be singing. And so he was in charge of giving me feedback. That was his role. And I'm like, no, I have a degree in music. And who are you to tell me this? And I would get like super defensive. Mm -hmm. And what I was taking on was not actually what he said. I was taking on, this is saying this about my worth. This means I'm not worthy. This means I'm not good enough. You are playing into all of the stories that I've been telling myself since I was a child. And this makes me a bad person. So then I would go home crying and upset and he would be confused Hmm. because he was just (laughs) doing his job by making me, trying to help me become a better singer. And I was taking it very personally and not actually in a space to receive his feedback. And so uh, we get to actually like listen to what the person's actually saying 
and not make up the stories in our heads about what that makes it mean about us. Yes. What was screamed out to me there was ego. Like I'm making this about me, which kind of lends into disconnection. So like whenever this has come up for me, someone's like, let's say my wife is really upset about something. And I say to her, well, you know, what's on your mind? Let me know. And she'll say uh, maybe, well, yeah, but it's going to be about you and you're going to get defensive. And no, 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 I won't. I promise I won't. And then she nails me with it. And then I become defensive or justification rolls in. Then you're ruining a moment to connect and you're becoming disconnected because she's thinking he doesn't see me. He doesn't hear me. He's just doing the same old thing. This is my issue with him. And then ultimately the trust and the security in that relationship is going to erode. And that, if that continues, that's the divorce. Like I, I don't trust this person to be open and tell them how I'm feeling because I don't feel secure that he's not going to justify and defend himself, right? Mm-hmm. And the other side of that, though, is that it is not other people's feelings and how they respond is not our responsibility. So what happened over time with my ex-husband is that he stopped sharing things because I reacted the way I reacted. But what then happened is that I didn't know what was going on with him. So there was that disconnection that was happening. Mm -hmm. So I kept saying, I would rather you tell me and I'd be upset because I know my feelings will pass. And at the end of the day, every single time I would come back and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry I overreacted. But he got to a point where he was so scared of my reaction that he stopped sharing. Mm -hmm. And so then the, the, the disconnection became bigger and bigger and bigger because I wasn't in a place to receive feedback. But then, so he stopped sharing. Then I didn't know what was going on with him. And then I was doing things that would make him frustrated and I didn't know it and we continue doing it. And again, making that divide more and more. And so if we can get to a space of like, okay, I'm going to share this with you. You're going to react however the fuck you want to react. And that's not my responsibility. Hmm. I like that. Thank you for sharing that um, part of your life because that, that shows like a massive great awareness and complete responsibility for your part in the relationship and that's what we're talking about really so now thank you for that um i did write this question i'm going to change it i wrote this question why do men struggle with this more than women now the reason i want to change that question is something that i've been learning lately is how much i assume stuff and that i think i'm some sort of god that knows the answer to everything and i'm trying to remove that from my life right so what is going on here with masculine and feminine energy when it comes to holding space? Is there a difference? Is, is for example, if you're stuck in masculine energy, is that more likely that you're not going to hold space, right? And if that's so, how do we recognize this and shift between both energies? Well, I'm, I tapped into this a little bit before and because of the programming that we have as men and women. I think that plays a lot into this as the role of a man and a woman and not just energy because everyone has masculine and feminine energy. Um, but if you are perceived from society to be a male, then you are taught certain things. And if you're perceived from society to be a woman, you are taught certain things. And so it stems, you know, and it's also 
our history of like hunters and gatherers, right? Like women were taught to be gatherers and there was space and time to do that. And there was a different type of connection than when you were hunting and going off and doing a thing where you had to be quiet to hunt. Like there's just a difference of what those roles look like at one point or another. And then they have trickled down into different things. And so I think men are taught to fix and to problem solve, which is great and beautiful and needed. There are a lot of women who are are not necessarily good at problem solving because they're not taught how to do that. And they're taught to seek after men to fix their problems for them. And then they're not able to do it themselves. But on the other hand, you know, women are taught to hold space. And so there's a different type of connection that happens between women with each other and like the ability to hold that kind of space in a way to be witnessed, seen, heard, and loved. Whereas men aren't necessarily taught how to do that. And so then they might struggle with it because of that programming. So to get, I've heard many people talk about this before. It's like, I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to listen, right? Like you hear women say that on television shows or everything Yeah, it's become become an archetypal story, isn't it? Yes, for sure. But it's like, well, what does that actually mean? What that actually means is if you are trying to fix this and change it, then you are seeing me as broken and unable to do it Mm. myself. And so then it's, then you're in the drama triangle. If anyone is familiar with that, you have the hero, the villain and the victim. And when the hero comes in to try and save the day, what happens is that you're seeing your partner as less than, and you're making them out to be a victim and non capable of creating the change they need for themselves. And then later, when you don't think them as grateful or, oh my gosh, you saved me. And then there's resentment that will happen. And then all of a sudden, they were the victim and now they're the villain because they don't appreciate you. So getting to a space to be a support and witness and see people as they are without having it to be changed or because they're not broken is really powerful. I've had issues in the past where, you know, I, I think my wife is a really powerful, independent, beautiful, amazing woman, right? So there are, sort of, there are certain things I just won't do because I just, I just know she can do them herself. And then it'll be like, why, why aren't you doing this for me, man? Like, why are you stepping up? And I'm like, well, because, you know, you, you're giving me the feedback that you, you don't, I don't think you're capable. I think you're capable to get on and do it. I mean, I use that as an example because this dance, we're going to step on a few toes, right? And we, we can't give up just because we link hands and stand on an Achilles heel. We just got to realize that if I want to spend the rest of my life with this person, and not even like intimately, actually, if I want to evolve as a human being in this world, I need to learn to connect with people on all different levels and that it's going to be hard and I'm not going to get it right most of the time. And that's okay. Yeah. And that's part of being human. And that's what's beautiful about, um, especially if you're raising children, like children to see that you make mistakes and you are human and that you come back and you apologize and you own your shit. Like there's just like, it's inevitable that you're going to hurt somebody's feelings when you are entangled with them in a relationship as marriage or forever partnership or whatever, even if it's not forever, even if it's just for a short time. 
whatever it is, when you're that connected to somebody, you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. You're going to piss them off. You're going to X, Y, and Z. And so the, the matter is like, do you lean in and actually ask for the support you need, ask for the help you need, ask to be seen and witnessed and actually ask for what you need and say what's on your mind. Like, wow, it really hurt me when you didn't help me. Like, wow, I really thought that you were this amazing woman who could do all these things by yourself. And I didn't know that you needed support. Please ask me for your support in the future. And I would be happy to help you. But I also don't want to hero you. And I don't want to, like, I'm not here to babysit you or you're not my child. Like, you are very capable of doing these things on your your own. So I'm going to need you to to ask me when you need support so that I'm not also babying you because you're not a child. I, uh, that reminds me, like I've just recently changed the gateway to 1000 Days Sober, right? So if you want to join 1000 Days Sober, the door is shut. And the only way to open it is to get on a call with me so I can figure out if I want to work with you or not, because I don't get any joy out of working with somebody who doesn't want to put in the work, who doesn't want to evolve beyond giving up drinking alcohol, right? So I'm, I'm making it more difficult to come on board. And what I'm finding with these conversations that I'm having with people when they come to the door and they're knocking and they're saying, can I come in? I'm having the conversation. People are finding it very difficult right now who come into my space to treat themselves, to reward themselves, to invest in themselves. They're more than capable, and this is men and women, they're more than capable of investing in their children, investing in their wives, investing in their friends, their mothers, their dads. But when it comes to investing in themselves, it's like, wow, yeah, and all the excuses, all the excuses come out, you know, which I guess goes back to right what we were saying at the beginning is this, this connected piece with yourself. And, and it sounds like listening to you that this piece about like investing in ourselves and telling people what we need and, and going for it and saying, yeah, I want this in my life. Please help me get it or get out of my way. I'm going to smash every door down to get it, right? Is that, does that uh, ring any bells for you? <laughs> for sure. And this is something that's been popping up in my life again is like, I got to lean in and really step into my power because there was a, the last two weeks, to be honest, I've been in my shit mm-hmm. and not trusting myself. And because I didn't trust myself, other people were not trusting me. And it was creating a lot of drama because I wasn't connecting to myself and trusting myself. And the moment that I dropped in and was like, no, this is what I actually know to be true. This is my truth. And I do trust myself. It changed everything. Mm. It changed the relationships with my roommates and some of my other clients. Like it's shifting everything because I'm stepping in confidently as myself. But until you get connected with yourself enough to know what you want, to know what it is that you need, you can't ask for that support. You can't have those clear conversations until you actually connect with yourself. And so connecting with yourself is super important. And we are not taught how to do that. No. So getting coaching and support to help you learn how to do that is so important. So investing in yourself, like how could you not invest in yourself? Because it is touching every piece of your life, your job, your relationships, your kids. Like every aspect of your life is being touched by the fact that you are not connecting to yourself and how dare you not invest in yourself because it will change your life forever. 
The people that come into my orbit that, that have a problem with that, it's, again, it's a belief system. Everything's a belief system, but it's a belief system that we don't pay, especially in the UK, for example, we don't pay to take care of ourselves. We have a national health service. So, so why would I pay a couple of grand to like improve myself? But I'll pay a couple of grand to go on a holiday with the lads. I'll pay a couple of grand to enter a poker tournament. I'll pay a couple of grand on uh, a car or a new music system or a pair of speakers. But I will not pay that money to look after my own health and well-being and evolve. I just should be able to figure this out because I'm a human being. So, you know, a lot of it like just goes back to um, belief systems, specifically the, the people that I uh, end up talking to. But, you know, it's up to us, I guess, as, as coaches to... Um, help people think a bit differently. And I'm certainly trying my heart out to do that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm a coach and I have coaches. I still have coaches and I will continue to have coaches until the day I die because my highest value is growth anyways. But I didn't even know coaching existed until a few years ago. But the amount of quantum leaps that I've made since I've had coaches in my life is insane. I just told you, I wrote a book. Yeah. I work for myself. I moved across the country. These are things that were not possible prior to coaching because I can only take myself so far. Anyone who is ever great, the, the most amazing people in the world who are very successful have had coaches. They all and, do. And have coaches. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. So if Super you want cool. to take yourself to that next level, like investing in yourself in a coaching capacity capacity is going to be far more valuable than a holiday or a car or a sound system or whatever the fuck you're spending your money on. It's going to impact your life in such a transformational way that it will affect every part of your being. And you will probably end up making more money as a result of having had coaching in your life. Well, especially when it comes to alcohol, because, you know, we, we figured it out at Strive. The average amount of money being spent at, um, at Strive is £100 a week. So that works out over 1,000 days of 10 grand. So, so, so you're spending 10 grand um, over a 2.7-year period just on alcohol. So, you know, it's an investment. I mean... And here's the, here's the thing why we created 1,000 Days Sober and we didn't create one month sober is you just said that, um, you know, right now or in the last couple of weeks, you lost connection with yourself. And then you had, but because you have already done that work, you realize that over a period of time and then get back to it. That's why 1,000 Days Sober exists is this evolution and this growth is, is, is forever. It's until we, we stop breathing. That we want to continually evolve our mind and our body. Who wants to be 80 years of age, unable to walk, and they keep forgetting things, right? It, nobody wants to be in that spot. So, like, this is not about alcohol, folks. This really isn't. It's just about learning to really have a beautiful and joyful life. And when you reach that state or you taste it, you, you don't want to drink alcohol. There's just no, you just don't want to, you know? Yeah, it's the need is no longer there because you have when you have that deep connection with yourself, the level of joy and abundance and expansion that you can feel is unlike any other. And the only way is through. And that's the thing that people forget and don't understand is like 
people keep trying to mask their emotions because they don't want to feel the pain. But the only way to get over that pain is through it. Mm. And you have to feel it. And if, unless you actually experience and feel that pain, you will never experience that joy because it, you get to, we get to experience both as humans. That's part of the process. It's part of the the beauty of being a human being is like experiencing both. And we tend to like villainize pain and grief and sorrow and anger and sadness. And really like I start to get excited now when I'm sad and angry, like there's, there's just a beauty. Cause I'm like, I know something's about to shift and change. And something's, <laughs> something's going to happen. Like, something beautiful is about to happen and I'm going to experience higher heights of joy as a result of whatever it is I'm going through. And that's exactly what just happened. I just told you I was in my shit for two weeks. The um, amount of joy and abundance and like clarity and like high that I feel with no substance as a result of going through it and actually experiencing that pain is unlike any other. And I've risen to new heights of joy that I would never have experienced had I not gone through that shit. Well, Jess, I can feel it emanating out of the, the screen. Uh, folks, if you want to get a bit of Jess's juice, then um, head over to 1000daysober.com, the podcast page. You will find a particular page uh, all dedicated to Jess with all the links, how to get hold of her, how to hire her. Please do hire her. Definitely check her out. And there'll be a set of show notes there and a special workbook that we'll create to deepen your knowledge on what we've been talking about today, which is to help you um, to connect with yourself, connect with others, hold space, whatever you want to name it. Uh, Jess, it's been really, really great to have you on. Anything you want to say before I let you go? Thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. I love it. Take care, Jess. Thank you.